Well, welcome to yet another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and every day that we have the opportunity to be together, I count it a privilege. I count it a blessing, that's for sure, uh, especially in light of the fact that we really don't know uh, for whom the bell will toll, as they say, and and what's going to happen in the world. I was just uh, uh, emailing back and forth today with our uh, our station general manager, Don Crawford Jr., whose dad, Don Crawford Sr., of course, is the C in CBC and Crawford Broadcasting Company. And Don is headquartered in Dallas, Texas, and we're here in Southern California. And we were both just kind of uh, commiserating back and forth over the fact that there were shootings in our neck of the woods, uh, one relatively close to the Bottom Line Show studios yesterday in San Pedro, California, and then uh, one today at Love Field in Dallas, Texas, that is 10 minutes from our sister station, KAAM in Dallas. If you didn't hear, there were two people killed, six more wounded at the shooting at Peck Park in San Pedro yesterday afternoon, just be, uh, just around 4 p.m. Um, if you're anywhere near 560 Northwestern in San Pedro, you know uh, the exact area. LA Fire Department said that uh, there were a total of uh, four men and three women wounded at or near a car show that was being held at the park. And uh, uh, there was another um, person who was injured after the fact who wound up taking themselves to the hospital and of the uh, Eight people total who were wounded, uh, two were killed and six were wounded. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's just it's about 500 people at the park having a good time on a Sunday afternoon. The um, what, what was interesting was this is one of those things where if you want to do something like this, I know our church has held car shows before. Um, they're a great way to kind of meet people in the community. Car enthusiasts like to have, you know, their cars out on display. I think there's a group called Cars and Coffee that goes out and does stuff on Saturday mornings and things like that. Um, but when you do an event like this, it's always helpful to have the proper citations squared away with the city that you're doing it in and the location. If, the, if it's at a church, make sure you've got all the proper permits pulled. Um, the, uh, this show in, in particular was not permitted. And when you do something like that, if it's, if the permits are pulled, then basically what you're saying is we're letting the city know, we're letting the county know, we're letting the police departments know. So if they need to provide some kind of protection, they can swing on by, do whatever they you know they want to. Um, apparently, this is not a random attack. Uh, they're still trying to figure out if it's a gang-related situation. And But I know a good, very dear friend of mine, guy who was the uh, pastor for the youth at our church at uh, Luther Church of the Cross of the Good Woods, did his internship there. Um, he was my daughter uh, Emily's confirmation pastor when she was in eighth grade, uh, and that was a while. <laughs> that was a while ago. My goodness, I'm just thinking she's in her mid thirties now, so it's been a while. But uh, Nathan Hoff is the pastor of Trinity Church in San Pedro, which is less than a mile from Peck Park. So uh, I know that really rattled their cages. And Nathan, we're praying for you and your congregation as you are ministering to your community that's dealing with this today. I mean, I just I can't. Uh, it, it's hard to fathom. And yet, when we think about the events like this, um, it's also important to get a little analysis, balance, and clarity as to why something like this happens. In Dallas, the story, um, the last time I flew through Dallas, I went to Love Field, Southwest Airlines, and uh, sure enough, uh, a Dallas police officer engaged with and disabled the uh, woman who came to the uh, Southwest Terminal right around 11 a.m today, uh, 37 years of age is the woman. Uh, Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia told reporters uh, that what happened was the woman was dropped off. They, they 
timestamp on the uh, surveillance was 10.59 a.m. Near the ticket counters at the Southwest uh, uh, Terminal there at Love Field, which Southwest hubs there, from what I understand. I don't think they're at Hobby. And uh, went to a restroom, or excuse me, not at DFW. And then she uh, exited the restroom. And uh, when she came out of the restroom, again, this is, you know, it's amazing to me how many criminals will do this like they can get away with it. I mean, in terms of not being seen. There was a time when we didn't have surveillance cameras everywhere. We didn't have Transportation Safety Administration. We didn't have people paying attention. And so guys like Frank Abagnale could sit there and make fake checks and pass them. And you, if you ever saw the movie Catch Me If You Can, um, no one could catch him because no one knew what he was doing. They weren't watching. Now, I mean, there's electronic surveillance of everything to the point where the Love Field surveillance team has video of this woman getting dropped off at the Southwest Airlines ticket counter, uh, leaving the whatever vehicle she was. She went into a restroom. When she came out of the restroom, she had switched up the clothing she was wearing. And then she, it sounds so English, she produced a handgun, pulled a handgun out of her jacket, purse, whatever it was, and she opened fire. And it looked like she was aiming at the ceiling, apparently like she was just trying to get people's attention. But then the police officer who was there, who saw her take out the gun, uh, wound up uh, striking her in her lower extremities, which I think is a fancy way of saying they aimed for her leg, shot her, got her in the leg, and then she was dispossessed of her weapon, taken into custody. She's at the hospital being treated. Uh, apparently, the only casualty, the only injury, I should say, not casualty, uh, was the woman. Uh, she just The shooter taken out by police in terms of losing her weapon. Now she's at the hospital. She'll recover from her wounds, but now the charges are being brought. And it just brings us to this point where, once again, we in the body of Christ are asking the question, what in the world is going on? Where is all this uh, fear? Where's all this hatred? Where's all this violence coming from? It certainly seems like the devil is having his way with the minds and hearts of a lot of people. And I think the reality is it's true. But this is one of those cases where I think it kind of brings us as Christians to uh, a clearer understanding of the world that we live in and how we should occupy and continue. Before we go any further, can we take a moment to pray? I'd, I'd love to lift this situation up. Father God, we, we praise you for being a God who hears and uh, gives us hope and also brings healing. And today, Father, we uh, kick off this program, our time together, uh, with prayer for the people who were wounded at Peck Park in San Pedro yesterday here in California, and of course for the two casualties, and and for whoever felt they needed to open fire at a car show in a local park on a Sunday afternoon. Father, we know that uh, you know the the whole backstory, and that you will heal, and that you're a God of justice as well, and we will ultimately see that justice brought to light, and we pray that it would come uh, in a way that uh, brings honor and glory to you. And also, Father, for this woman in Dallas today who uh, part of some kind of plan, and we're not quite sure if she was the, you know, sending off message person or whatever it was, but she uh, opened fire and uh, could have potentially wounded hundreds of people. And we're grateful for the police officers at Dallas's Love Field acting the way they did as swiftly as they did to bring this woman to justice, hopefully sooner than later. And I pray that she recovers from her wounds. Uh, Father, we know that the world is crazy right now. And, you know, it's interesting because, Father, how many times how many times, Lord, do we come to you and say, I just don't understand? And yet you make it perfectly clear that there are things in this world that are for our understanding and things in this world that we'll never understand this side of heaven. But help us to think more like you instead of like us. Help us to not be so driven by our own limitations, 
that we miss sight of what you are doing in the world because your plan is so wonderful and you have redeemed us to you. You are in the process of redeeming all of your creation back into your own. And we realize that part of that may mean that we're going to go through a season where things look a little stranger, a little more odd and awkward. Thank you, Father, for being the God who hears, the God who heals, and the God who gives us hope. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's take a quick break, and when we continue, I, the timing of this is perfect. I, I love when the schedules get set up the way they do, um, and we don't know who's going to be on the show. I mean, we know what the calendar says, but we don't know what events are going to speak into it. On the other side of this break, uh, Dr. Thomas Sheehan is a physicist from MIT. He's a scientist. He is one of those guys who is good to have in your corner because we'll look at the world around us right now and people will say, well, the science is this, the science is this, and faith is a fairy tale. And then sometimes people in the church will say, well, no, it's all about faith. It's all about faith. And the science thing, well, you're relying too much on it. But is there a way we could explain what's happening in the world right now? The increase in the amount of evil, the climate changing, the, the, all the different things that are happening in the world right now. Is there a way we can understand it? It seems hard for us to understand because we're finite people living in 2022. But what about God who is eternal? And who he operates on a whole different timetable, if you will, because he is time. Uh, Dr. Thomas Sheehan has written a book called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. Not everywhere, not every how, every when. Is that even a word? <laughs> Well, we're going to get into it with Dr. Thomas Sheehan on the other side of this break. The link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, by the way. God, symmetry, and time. We'll talk about how understanding everyone makes our faith a lot easier to process. Uh, that conversation coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. It's amazing when you consider how many people look at the culture right now and they say you're either a person of faith or you're either a person of science, but you can't really do the two. There are so many different areas where we as Christians understand, well, look, if it weren't for God, there wouldn't be science. So obviously, you know, there's a, a big connection between the faith world and the scientific world. But there's a brand new book out, I think, that kind of encapsulates everything that we are trying to explain as Christians to be able to say, you know, how is it that we as people of faith can also understand the scientific world as well? Well, Dr. Thomas Sheehan has degrees in physics from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, has spent 45 years his career as a research physicist, predominantly in energy sciences when he worked for Bell Telephone Laboratories, the National Bureau of Standards, the U.S. Department of Energy, and the list goes on. He's the author of a brand new book that has the rather intriguing title that we'll, uh, uh, we'll be explaining the minute we get into our conversation. The book is called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Thomas Sheehan, welcome to The Bottom Line. I'm happy to be here, Roger. We're grateful to have this conversation. First and foremost, I don't think I've ever heard the term every when before. Is that something that has been floating around in the scientific community and I just missed it? No, not at all. I chose the word every when to deliberately for it to be unfamiliar because hmm. we all know what everywhere means. Right. And nobody's ever heard of every when, not in English, French, Chinese or anything else. Mm -hmm. And the fact is my book is drawing attention to a huge difference between us humans and God. We are stuck with time and we can't comprehend every when. However, God, the inventor of time, can. God is present to all time. He is every when. And that's the point I want to make with the title. And the book goes on to develop the idea of the difference between God's way of seeing things and our way, which is very, very limited. 
You know, I mentioned at the outset that this is the kind of resource that would help us really uh, do a better job in the Christian community of bridging the gap between faith and science and that the, the concept of, you know, God being everywhere and every when, as you write about in this new book, is so very, very helpful. Uh, time, though, seems to be in time management. I mean, there are oceans of ink spilled over, you know, books and seminars, things of that nature on how to manage our time. You have a rather cruel take on time with regard to the way we have a tendency to manage it and maybe in some cases even idolize it. Talk about what you mean by when you say time is the falsest God of all. Well, here's what happens. Human beings bound by time and stuck with time and subordinate to time assume that everything else is subordinate to time too. In mm. fact, all scientists, physicists like Isaac Newton four centuries ago saw time as immutable, absolute, perfect, always there and only in one direction. When Einstein came along in the early 20th century, he noted a symmetry between space and time. And basically, he rediscovered what St. Augustine had 1,600 years earlier, that God began the universe, created the universe first with the creation of space and time. Augustine went on to say there's no such thing as before the, the creation of the universe, the creation of space and time. And I kind of looked pretty carefully at that, and I, I took it apart a little and tried to analyze what's going on. And over the centuries, well, if everybody forgot about Augustine's wisdom, but over the centuries, they got used to the idea of time being absolute, untouchable, you can't do anything about it, right. it's just there. And a lot of philosophers believe that time and the universe ran from forever in the backward direction. And all of this is a huge mistake. It has overlooked the power, the omnipotence of God, and has led humans down the wrong path. And when you say that God is dependent upon time, you just put a false God before God. Mm. I'm calling that out. I, I'm glad you did. Dr. Thomas Sheehan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Brand new book is called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You know, that kind of shoots a hole in some of the youth ministry lingo that we've used here in the States for the past couple of decades about God showing up, you know, God being right on time and that type of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, if God's perfect, how could he be anything other than that? It's not necessarily him, but it's us that we have to, you know, notice him and, and kind of get on on his, you know, track and timetable, if you will. Um, how, what kind of conversations are you having with people in the faith community? Because I would imagine scientists, this is still kind of a, you know, if you're not a person of faith, you really don't you know, see the God hand in this. But what kind of conversations do you have with people, Dr. Sheehan, in the faith community who are kind of waking up to the fact that, you know, that they're always talking about the time is now, now is of the essence without really fully understanding what you're talking about in terms of how we understand time? Well, I try to tell my fellow Christians and other religious believers that they should not be afraid of science. They should not think that time is absolute and dominates everything in their life. But with regard to understanding how God sees time, we all have to be humble. I don't know how God sees time, but I do know the fault with which humans see time and humans have had elevated time to superiority over God. And that causes all kinds of other mistakes. Um, the, the wise crack from the atheist is, why did God take so long to make the universe? Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't. Hey. In God's framework, its reality is there and he's present to it. 
this is a very important point that a lot of people of faith have been struggling with for a long time. Mm -hmm. That it seems that the atheists who loudly proclaimed, oh, God couldn't do this, God couldn't do that, he doesn't exist, blah, 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 this kind of thing. They are rejecting a, an image, a stereotype of a very weak and faulty God. And it kind of surprises them to say, I reject that God, too, because our God is a whole lot better. <laughs> he certainly is. You know, I, I, as you were describing this here, and what I read about in your book, Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time, the fact that you you address the whole uh, faith and science uh, bridge that needs to happen. And then also, uh, you've got a whole section in on God's hand in reality. And it made me wonder, just for a, a, a split second, how many times I've heard arguments about young earth, new earth, old earth, you know, timing things. And I realized that a lot of those conversations are from our, from our perspective, where we're trying to come up with, you know, jot and tittle is the Bible 6,000 years old or whatever, where you're challenging us in the book every when to say, hey, why don't we look at this from God's perspective and stop trying to put it into our boxes? Talk about how you, uh, how you encourage us as Christians to take a look at, you, you mentioned the thing, you know, why did it take so long for God to create? Well, Bible says, you know, heavens and the earth in six days, but what are six days to us versus to God? How, how do we get out of that, uh, you know, that, that carnal thinking and into more of a supernatural, eternal type of thinking? Well, it's trusting God to have been smart, trusting God to have cared, trusting God to have loved his creation and to love us. And that gives us the ability to pause and not fall for the rejection uh, claims. If we say, or we hear an atheist saying, oh, God uh, took too long to create the universe. I don't believe in God. We can say, wait a minute. Let's think more carefully about this. And when we do, we step up our thinking to a higher level. We, we look not for an either or answer, but answers of the form both and. Mm -hmm. God created the universe in six days. God created the universe in 13.8 billion years. Both are true. And in fact... There's a Jewish scholar named Jerry Schroeder over in Israel who went to MIT. For, he was a Brooklyn kid, went to MIT, got a PhD in physics a few years before me, and he emigrated to Israel. He's been a professor there ever since. He looked at this situation. He believes in a branch of Orthodox Judaism that follows a rabbi named Nachmanides, mm -hmm. not the Maimonides that we know of, but uh, one named Nachmanides. That had to be six 24-hour days. So Jerry Schroeder says, okay, I know physics quite well, a PhD, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I, my religion must be true also. Both are true. Therefore, it's up to me and my level of thinking to try to figure out why they are both true. And that's a burden he put upon himself to step up to a higher level of thinking. And he mm. did. Wow. He knows about relativity, and so he said, okay, the person who wrote Genesis 1 was writing on the expansion of the early universe as it expanded, and therefore, the first day was about um, seven, seven and a half billion years. Second day was about three and three quarters. Third day, half of that. Fourth day, half of that, and it adds up to about the 13.8 billion years you want. And the entire creation fits together in Jerry Schroeder's theme in, in a way that none of us ever thought of previously. Hmm. Yet he basically resolved the argument between creationists and 
uh, uh, scholars or, or oftentimes atheists who want to see that the other is wrong, looking for an either or answer. Mm. Gary Schroeder looks for a both and answer. And, you know, I love that that, that both end concept, Dr. Sheehan, because it, it gets us away from something that we have a, a kind of a new phenomenon here in the culture, at least in the last 20 years, which is the I have to be right. So you have to be wrong rather than saying, OK, well, in God's economy, like you said, the answer is yes. You know, it's both, you know, and, and you can make a, a scientific explanation and a faith based explanation for both in that case. It's a fascinating study. Dr. Thomas Sheehan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're just getting warmed up talking about his book called Every When God, Symmetry and Time. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we're going to talk about eternity. We're going to talk about the multiverse. You know, we'll cover all those topics thoroughly in 10 minutes. I know Dr. Sheehan's up for the task. I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but we'll give you a good overview of what he writes about out of this book that I highly recommend that's up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of my conversation with Dr. Thomas Sheehan in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. Thomas Sheehan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, PhD from MIT and author of a, a number of books, including this latest one, Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Dr. Sheehan, I, I appreciate the fact that you've coined that phrase, every when, to describe God. I mean, basically to say this is how we can understand him better and understand you know, our role in his world, especially the world that we're living in right now. I was thinking um, during the break, we were talking about uh, you know, some of the uh, latest scientific discoveries that we've seen, of course, the, uh, uh, the, the NASA shots and you know, the different universes that are out there. And I often hear people in the secular world who don't have a relationship with the Lord often saying, well, you know, the universe does this and the universe does that. Lately, we've been hearing more about something called the multiverse. And I was wondering, you write about this in the book, Everyone. I wonder if you would kind of give us a maybe a 90 second to two minute overview of what exactly the multiverse is and how we as Christians can help people who aren't in the faith actually understand what they're trying to get at, but what they're really looking for. Certainly. Um, you have a situation in which the what we call the anthropic coincidences are so good and point so clearly to the hand of God as the creator of the universe that it becomes very difficult to wiggle out of um, believing in God. God has never forced anybody to believe in him, but boy, the, the pointers that come from science are awfully good. So the excuse is, well, this universe is just one of an infinite number of universes that are just as good as ours, and they bubble up out of the, the froth of some sort or other. And it turns out when you look deeply into that multiverse claim that there's a whole bunch of things wrong with it. First of all, it isn't science, because in science, you do not festoon your theory with things you can't observe in principle. If something is not observable in principle, then it's not science. So that's the first error of the multiverse thinking. The wider one, though, is that if there were a multiverse, then there would be an infinite number of universes. Right. In that case, some of those universes had exact duplicates of you and me, right down to the hairs on our arms. Mm. All the things that we know of in the universe we really live in would come true again and again in thousands of millions, billions of other universes. This is what the word infinity means. It keeps on going and there's no upper limit. Well, in those additional universes, some of them, um, Stalin blows up America with H-bombs. Some of them, Hitler wins World War II. 
uh, on and on the terrible things of years past, centuries past, all kinds of bad things happen in some universes, even if in some universes good things happen. And the fact is, no one could possibly stand to believe in all that much bad. So those who uh, talk about the multiverse wish they were just talking about a hundred universes or a billion or some finite number. But when you are talking about multiverse, you have to talk infinite number. And as soon as you understand the concept of infinity, then it becomes completely implausible and unbelievable. And we reject it. So the multiverse, I called it in the book, a mistake. Mm-hmm. That's that's my position on the multiverse. It's an excellent and very well rounded one and one that we you can read more about in Dr. Thomas Sheehan's book called uh, Every When, God, Symmetry and Time. We have a link to that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, Dr. Sheehan, we were talking during the break also about uh, something that's happened recently in the culture that's uh, taken on a lot more heat as we are uh, having our conversation right now, uh, knowing that the House of Representatives just passed a bill to try to place into, uh, into federal law what they call uh, protections for quote unquote contraception, which of course includes abortion. And that leads us to the pro-life versus pro-abortion argument, which is uh, really centered on one key issue, and that is when does life begin? sanctity of life crowd. It's at the heartbeat. It's at the point of conception. The pro-abortion crowd says it basically begins when I want it to begin. Uh, you have scientific proof, you say, uh, in this every when concept that uh, that really refutes the pro-abortion argument. Help us understand how we can know for certain when exactly the human life begins. Sure. You have a gamete from the male, gamete from the female, uh, sperm, egg, in the case of humans, These come together at a particular point in time and thereupon they join together and their partial DNA strands form a new strand of DNA. And nothing else really changes very much after that. The new DNA has in it all the codes, the programs, the uh, uh, sophisticated working out of all the growth and so forth that's going to happen. It's all right there. Did God create this? Yes, because his uh, vision, his creation, his ability is so far superior to ours. But when you have that new individual, if the species is a human, that's a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend Stacy Trisankos has a very simple argument that I like to quote. Nobody asks, uh, nobody debates. When does life begin for a spider? Nobody debates when life begins for a puppy. The only species subject to such strange scrutiny are unwanted human beings. Mm. And a wanted human being, life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. So this is a bizarre form of uh, uh, in- inquiry that is not supported by science. Mm-hmm. What ultrasound has showed us is at an earlier and earlier and earlier stage, as the technology gets better, that there's a human being there every single time. And if we had better ultrasound, we could see the first couple of weeks after conception and so forth. But what's happening is that DNA is unfolding according to program and it's doing all these things. We look at a human being that's born and after some months, <clears throat> uh, wisdom teeth, uh, sorry, baby teeth erupt. Then 20 more years go by and wisdom teeth erupt. But these characteristics were built into the DNA right from the start. 
And that's what makes us uniquely human. And the excuses to the effect that, oh, there's a transition point somewhere, or it doesn't count until um, the baby is X months old or something like that. Every one of them just plain is an excuse. And it's an example of somebody more powerful having the last word to say over someone else. And there was a time when you could own another human being. It was called slavery. We did away with that. But now the idea that you can own another human being is very popular in the uh, uh, secular society. But once again, it fails to recognize the dignity and the sanctity of a human being. And the biology says that DNA tells you you've got a new human being. Well, it, it, it's irrefutable, and yet it's unbelievable to so many people in the world apart from Christ. Dr. Thomas Sheehan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His fascinating new book is called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You conclude this book, Dr. Sheehan, by talking about something you call our multidimensional life beyond time. Take the last minute or so of our time together, if you can. I mean, a minute to talk about multidimensional life. Sure. But um, talk, tell us what that means. We are not bound by the four dimensions of space and time. Human beings have much greater capabilities, whether you call them more dimensions or more degrees of freedom, maybe a choice of language, but thinking in terms of more dimensions, we have all kinds of abilities. We have art, we have literature, we have the ability to love. This goes far beyond the atoms and molecules that are there in space and time. And with these capabilities, we are higher dimensional beings. Well, when you die, the space and time, the atoms and molecules fall by the wayside, but the rest of your existence that makes you, you keeps right on going. Hmm. And that brings you into a new domain that is vastly different from what we have known as beings made up of atoms and molecules, space and time. So we have a lot of opportunities to go forward. St. Paul, in, I think, to the Corinthians said, eye has not seen and ear has not heard what God has ready. And that's a really important point to remember, that we are going to continue to exist in our levels of things like uh, love, loyalty, honesty, our intellect, our will. That none of that goes away at physical death. And my last chapter explores some of the possibilities there, offering people not a guaranteed result that is true, but giving you a sample of my thinking so that I will encourage you to do thinking on your own. Yes, and yes. You don't have to believe what I say, but think at that higher level, bring your level up to have a greater appreciation of all that God can do. You know, it's not often we get a chance to talk with an author here on the Bottom Line Show who gives such a biblical, a powerful biblical exhortation to challenge us to want to know more, to dig deeper. To I mean, oftentimes it's just kind of reaffirming uh, the things that we know and believe. Dr. Thomas Sheehan, thank you for being that instrument that has challenged our thinking today. The book is called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Thomas Sheehan, great to get to meet you, sir. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, and we're looking forward to uh, reconnecting with you in another couple of months to keep this conversation going. Uh, the book, as I mentioned, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of Every When. 
give away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Dr. Thomas Sheehan's outstanding book called Every When, basically understanding God, symmetry, and time. If you've ever been told that science and religion are incompatible, this is a book that gives you all sorts of irrefutable uh, proof that they're quite the opposite is true. Every Win by Dr. Thomas Sheehan, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. I said, you've got an account right now that's one-dimensional. It's paying you 6% for the next three years, and that's the one dimension it has. I said, 4D money has four dimensions. It'll pay you 4 to 6% a year, but it has three additional dimensions. Number one, it'll provide you with long-term care benefits. Number two, it'll provide you with permanent income benefits. And number three, it'll provide you with inflation benefits, all under the heading of 4D money. So when I explain these things to people, they say, well, you know, that sounds too good to be true. I said, I know, but we have got millions and millions of dollars of clients' money in these accounts, and it's in black and white. It's true. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Dr. Thomas Sheehan, MIT-trained physicist and a fine Christian scholar, uh, the author of a brand new book called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. the number to get you through to the bottom line. I can't stress enough how important this resource is because of so many of us having that science versus, you know, faith discussion. And you heard this phrase a lot during the pandemic, the science is settled. And you know, what was so disappointing about that and frustrating, sure, I get it, but it was frustrating and disappointing because of the fact that science is never settled. At its core, science isn't settled. We're constantly exploring and discovering new things. I mean, if we had, if we were still approaching COVID-19 the same way we did in March of 2020, we would be thought to be quite foolish. The idea, you know, now that this monkeypox thing is coming up, they're saying it's a world, world health emergency. It's like, well, okay, how do you know? Eight billion people on the planet. How many people have to get infected with this before it becomes an emergency? How many people with COVID? wound up scaring themselves, not to death necessarily, but into poorer health. I mean, one thing was absolutely certain, and I think this kind of plays into what Dr. Sheehan was talking about, is the fact that, take your physical health, for example. It's amazing how many people are as healthy as they want to be. You know, I mean, lots of people have limitations. I mean, you'd say, well, what about Vic Vujicic? Yeah, I know Nick was born without arms and legs. He's a great theologian and uh, an evangelist. It's not mind over matter in a case like that, but how many people do you know have had a heart attack or cancer or something like that? And their attitude keeps them going. I know from personal experience, if I had been, if I'd taken more time to think about what was going to happen to my chest and my heart and everything with my heart surgery four and a half years ago, it might've been a different story, but there was never a question. Okay, God is going to heal me. I felt like Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, right? You know, when Ollie gets the uh, that little kid who can't make free throws or whatever, he gets fouled because they know he's the worst shooter on the team. And Hackman draws him into the the huddle afterwards, and he says, "Okay, now after Ollie makes the second free throw, this is what kind of defensive alignment I want." It never even occurred to him 
to tell the guys, okay, Ollie, try really hard and I hope you make one. He just said, no, he's going to make both of them. And he goes and sinks them both and wind up going on and winning the game. The attitude that you and I have with regard to our health, you know, not in a, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fine and I'm not going to pay any attention to science. That, not saying that, but the attitude, do you believe that God will heal you? How many times did Jesus ask people in the gospels, do you want to be healed? I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine someone walking up going, hey, like the woman with the issue of blood, you know, spent every penny she had. She's being crushed to death practically in this crowd. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, she obviously wanted to be healed. But what about somebody else? Someone sitting by the, you know, the, the pool. Do you want to be healed? No, I'm just sitting here waiting for it to bubble up. I hope I fall in. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a will that says, I want this to happen. And in the case of the science versus faith, it's they're not mutually exclusive. I love the fact that Dr. Sheehan has coined this phrase, every when, because it basically, it's it, only God can hold that title, not you, not me. And oftentimes where people fall down in their faith is they believe it's going to be on their terms in their time. And we elevate the time factor to be so important. Hey, I've, 40 years I've been in an industry where we buy and sell time, basically. All we have here, I mean, from 3 to 4, 30 p.m. Pacific, Monday through Friday, there's commercial time that goes, there's interview time that goes, time, 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 time. We package it, we quantify it, we sell it. Or we give it away, or we present it. I mean, how much of your day is dictated by the clock? And in God's economy, that clock is a benefit for you and for me, but he's not bound to that. God is eternal. So he can be everywhere, whenever he needs to be. Every when is a great way to describe his omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence. And it deepens your faith to understand that God is not limited to the same things we are. So the Webb telescope is showing us all these pictures. And we go, wow, I didn't know there were all these new galaxies. Do you need to? Do I need to? God has that under control. I'm not saying Pollyanna, oh, I don't care. God's got to. No, this is. This will help our faith conversations with people. So when someone says, you know, I got jabbed because the science is settled and this is the way it's going to happen, you don't have to lose your lunch, but you can come alongside and say, okay, well, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, because we didn't know that this existed two years ago or two and a half, three years ago. We're trying to create something that will prevent, or so we're being told, prevent a virus from spreading or even infecting us. And then people are being told, well, I have the protection, and if I got the virus, then it's not the virus outsmarting my protection. It's somebody else gave it. That doesn't make any logical sense. But we can have all of these conversations in a balanced fashion. So I hope you'll give us a call, 800-227-5278, and uh, see about winning a copy of Dr. Thomas Sheehan's book, Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, it's not every day you get a chance to talk to an MIT-trained physicist who's also a, a man of faith. Uh, earlier in the program, we were praying about the uh, two gun incidents, the one at Peck Park in San Pedro, and then also at Love Field in Dallas. Uh, let's add to that for our listeners in Northern California, of course, the Oak Fire near Yosemite. Um, the number of uh, firefighters fighting this has gone from hundreds to thousands right now. Um, and, you know, the idea is that... Uh, as the fire is flying, it basically it's just kind of a given that the fire is going to wind up uh, landing in a fuel spot. So, I mean, this is one of those another situation where ultimately we'll find out what caused it. My hunch is probably sparks off a power line landing in an area that became a fuel zone because it wasn't cleaned up. That happens so often, but we don't know the all the particulars. But, Lord, we just come before you asking for 
your help and in bringing this fire to a closure, uh, ending it, uh, limiting the number of the amount of acres damaged and any people whose uh, lives and health may be at risk for being a part of this. And Father, we pray that we would be more mindful of your creation uh, in terms of uh, preventing this type of thing from happening. Uh, Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Hey, on the other side of this break, I, I, I read a story over the weekend that made me kind of smirk a little bit. But then it got me thinking, well, how often and how casually do we use terms that are biblical, that definitely have a biblical connotation, and perhaps we use them in ways that aren't necessarily biblical, but we do so for the purpose of trying to show that someone who's willing to literally go the extra mile, which is a biblical concept, for somebody. You remember hearing the story last week of the mass shooting in Greenwood, Indiana, at the Greenwood Shopping Mall. It was a week ago Sunday, I believe. A young man entered the mall and was actually in the restroom area for quite some time. Uh, Douglas Sapperman came in with three different uh, rifles. And of course, the media always has to say AR-15 style, but they weren't assault weapons. And again, AR stands for the air light rifle or whatever. It doesn't stand for assault rifle. It was the name of the company, and they just had a style called the AR-15. That's the one that's very popular among these types of shootings. And a young Mr. Sapperman went into the mall with about 100 rounds of ammo. He had three different guns. He wanted to hurt somebody badly. And when he came out of the restroom for the food court, he wound up opening fire. He uh, killed three people. He wounded two others. And then all of a sudden, a guy with the name of Elisha Dickens, who was there with his girlfriend, um, T-shirt and shorts just kind of milling about, you know, on a Sunday night, uh, produces, as they say, a handgun, opens fire. Uh, I don't know how many rounds total he, he wound up, I think it was 10. Eight of them hit the gunman who kind of retreated, and the gunman wound up losing his life. This is one of those, they call it a good, good guy with a gun story. Not Doesn't always happen that often. But the local media, the mayor of Greenwood and others, began referring to the good guy, Elisha Dickens, as a guy who was a quote-unquote good Samaritan. And some people on the left are losing it because he was referred to as a good Samaritan. I want to dig into what it means to be a good Samaritan and then see if possibly you agree with those on the left who are saying, you can't call him that because, well, that that's a Bible term and the Good Samaritan did good and this guy had a gun. Let's dig into, is it appropriate to use that term that way? Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here at Kbright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home, it was like two days before Christmas, and I was sitting at the bottom of a hill, and somebody just came smashing into me. Like, they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready, like, to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. 
and once in a while I'd tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, digging the late Alan White, pounding the skins there for yes on the silent wings of freedom, and uh, and uh, encouraging you to keep calling. Got a few minutes left. The phone lines will be open to get in on the uh, the, the drawing, if you will, for Dr. Thomas Sheehan's book, Every When God, Symmetry, and Time. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. And uh, a lot of folks have uh, been calling in for this. So if you get a busy signal, uh, call back and uh, we'll, we'll get a winner, hopefully before the end of the half hour here. Um, was talking about the Indiana mall shooter. This is the Greenwood Mall in Greenwood, Indiana. And when Douglas Sapperman went in with his three AR-15 style rifles and a hundred rounds of ammunition, you could tell he was up to no good. And I, I'll be honest with you. When I saw what the... Um, but the Congress wanted to pass the Senate. You know, they had the bipartisan gun deal. I, I, I'm a Second Amendment guy all the way. I absolutely support the right of people to own guns and use them responsibly. At the same time, I had to ask the question. I mean, and again, maybe gun enthusiasts could help me on this one. Why do you need 100 rounds of ammunition? I just I'm, I'm, I guess if you're going hunting, maybe. I mean, hunting for like whatever. And even then, I don't get hunting. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't hunt. I'm just saying I don't get it. Right. But this young guy comes in. He was able to legally purchase three. Uh, uh, of these AR-15 style weapons. Well, Elijah Dickin had a Glock handgun with him. He was carrying it legally. He was now he was interestingly enough. He was carrying it legally for the city of Greenwood, Indiana. He was carrying it illegally because the Greenwood Mall actually said, "Yeah, you you can carry legally in the city, but just not inside our mall." And boy, aren't they glad he was carrying his gun because when Douglas Sapperman came out of the restroom and he was in the restroom for an hour or something like that, according to the police report and the video surveillance, um, he came out and he opened fire. He killed three people. He wounded two others. And then Elijah Dickin was there with his Glock, pulled out his weapon and the whole shooting, 24 rounds from the shooter and 10 rounds back in the good guy with the gun. And it's all over. Three people dead, two people wounded. The killer is dead. And so at press conference afterwards, we hear from the mayor, we hear from the police chief of Greenwood, the guy in charge of the ball, Greenwood Mayor Mark Myers said the quick action and heroism of Elijah Dickin basically said, you know, are keeping people alive today. Someone, someone we are calling a good Samaritan was able to shoot the assailant and stop further bloodshed. This person saved lives tonight on behalf of the city of Greenwood. I'm grateful for his quick action and heroism in this situation. But people on the left went nuts. According to Justin Collar, who is a uh, traffic anchor for CBS4, apparently in Greenwood. The term Good Samaritan came from a Bible passage of a man from Samaria who stopped on the side of the road to help a man who was injured and ignored. I can't believe we live in a world where that term can equally apply to someone killing someone. My God. That's the actual quote. Um, I don't know. I mean, here's the Greenwood mayor saying, look, dozens of people were probably going to die. This guy had 100 rounds of ammo and three guns. But 
Comedian John Fugelsang, the Good Samaritan paid for an unknown immigrant's health and care out of uh, out of his own pocket. The Good Samaritan did not shoot anyone. Jesus was not a fan of killing for any reason, including self-defense. But if these ambosexuals ever read the Bible, they would not support the GOP or the NRA. So my question to you, do you think they're using Good Samaritan improperly here? I could see both sides saying, hey, look, Good Samaritan story, we know the story, and we'll dig into it on the other side of this break. But was he a Good Samaritan, Elisha Dickin, for stopping a killer from potentially killing dozens of people in a shopping mall? Or is he a bad guy because he opened fire and wound up killing another human being, and we're calling him a Good Samaritan? 800-227-5278. Would love to get your take on this especially if you're a gun owner. I'd love to hear what your initial response is to the left calling Elisha Dickin a gun guy and not a good Samaritan for saving people's lives in the Greenwood shopping mall. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line show. For our KCBC audience, uh, this concludes the live part of what you get to hear. Bottom line extra coming your way at 7 o'clock tonight and bottom line rewind tomorrow at 1030. For those who remain on the network, we're going to dig into this Good Samaritan story a little bit and give you a chance to weigh in as the bottom line continues. There goes my hero, right? Okay. There goes my hero. Heroic actions are welcome in this day and age. And a hero, true definition of the word hero, is someone who literally is willing to lay down his life for somebody else. Elisha Dickin in Greenwood, Indiana, was willing to do that. Today here on The Bottom Line, I'm Roger Marsh, and we're taking a look at this story because what's interesting, you heard about it probably a week or so ago, and in light of the shooting at Peck Park in San Pedro yesterday and the shooting at Dallas Love Field at the Southwest Terminal today, um, and if you didn't hear about that one, that fortunately that one turned out to be little more than a scare where a woman was dropped off at the terminal. She, about 11 o'clock this morning, she walked in, she had a bag uh, with her. She went into the restroom. She came out wearing a different hoodie sweatshirt than she had when she went in. Uh, She produced the weapon and aimed it at the ceiling and shot it up in the air. Now, not to, not sure if that was a distraction for something else that was supposed to happen later or what, you know, maybe she had the wrong day. I don't know for the whatever they were trying to do. She did not aim it at people directly, though gunfire went up in the air. Uh, police shot her in the leg, dispossessed her of the gun. She's now in the hospital and will then go to custody in Peck Park. There were two people killed and six people wounded at a car show yesterday in San Pedro where uh, gunshots went out between a couple of different groups who were there. It was not a sanctioned car show per se in that they didn't have the permits and didn't have the police around. Um, most car shows that you see, they have to get the right permitting and stuff like that for people to stand around and look at old cars and drink coffee. Um, this one, unfortunately, there were eight injuries and two of them turned out to be fatalities. In Greenwood, Indiana, Elisha Dickin was there with his girlfriend and he had a legally purchased and legally possessed Glock on his person. They were walking near the food court and a guy by the name of Douglas Sepperman had come into the mall and in his I don't know how you get, uh, there's a ban on guns. They probably have the sticker with the red circle sign on the glass there. Uh, Welcome to Greenwood Shopping Mall. Guns are not allowed. Uh, Apparently that did not deter either of these guys from carrying their weapons. 
And when Safferman opened fire with one of his, it's an AR-15 style rifle, air light rifle company. Uh, that's where the AR comes from. Um, he had 100 rounds of ammo, and he shot about 24 rounds at a number of people. Three of them died. Two more were injured. And then Elijah Dickin pulled out his Glock, apparently set off 10 rounds of ammo from his weapon. Eight of them struck the shooter, and the shooter is now deceased. At the press conference after the shooting, they didn't even know Elijah Dickens' name yet. Uh, CNN, I don't know if they knew it, and there's a report uh, that they produced shortly after the attack, and they were very quick to point out you know, how dangerous gun violence was. Guns, guns are bad. Guns are bad. Guns are bad. Oh, by the way, some 22-year-old guy with a gun shot and killed the shooter. But anyway, back to, well, the chief of police of Greenwood, Indiana, the mayor of Greenwood, Indiana, the guy who runs the Greenwood Mall, they all said the same thing, that the shooter who wound up saving dozens of people's lives, uh, they called him a good Samaritan. And what's interesting about that, to me anyway, <laughs> as a pastor, as your friend, you're on the bottom line show, is people on the left started losing their minds. The gun control crowd, really, Shannon Watts, of a group called Moms Demand Action, which used to be, they had a different name. And whenever somebody dies in gun accidents, then she's all over their case. Quote, I don't know who needs to hear this, but when a 22-year-old illegally brings a loaded gun into a mall and kills a mass shooter armed with an AR-15 after he already killed three people and wounded others, it's not a rigging endorsement of our implementation of the Second Amendment. Um, okay, thank you, Shannon Watts. Um, John Fugelsang, who was a comedian. And again, can you imagine what it must have been like when American Idol started back in, was it 1999, whatever? And I maybe it's early 2000s. I honestly don't remember. I had the privilege of working for the Fox Network. I was the brought to you by guy. So whenever you watch those seasons of American Idol on uh, KTTV here in Southern California, wherever it was you watched, you heard the guy say, American Idol is sponsored by Diet Coke. That was me, right? So I had a chance to work with these people from American Idol. And the first year, American Idol was based on a British Idol or something like that. That was in the UK. And the UK edition of the show had two hosts. And they bring the talent on. And Simon Cowell was one of the judges and et cetera. When they brought it to the US, they had two hosts. One was John Fugelsang, a up-and-coming comedian. And another relatively unknown radio guy by the name of Ryan Seacrest. You might have heard of him. Right? Now he's worth like $400 million. It was clear from the word go that Ryan Seacrest had the X factor. He was He's dynamic, charismatic. And not that John Fugelsang wasn't a talent, but he just didn't have it. So by season two, it was American Idol with Ryan Seacrest. So Fugelsang's been kicking around. And you know he's been saying, well, why didn't they get rid of Ryan Seacrest and keep me? Right? It happens. So he wrote on Twitter, the Good Samaritan, because they were calling the shooting guy. I, I, I hate calling him the shooter. He did use a gun, and he did kill a mass killer who also had a gun. He said, the good Samaritan paid for an unknown immigrant's health care out of his pocket. Oh, please. <laughs> there, might, there, there has to be a class somewhere. What, what's the right terminology to use? 
He paid for an unknown immigrant's health care out of pocket. The Good Samaritan did not shoot anyone. Jesus was not a fan of killing for any reason, including self-defense. But if these amosexuals have ever read the Bible, they wouldn't support the GOP or the NRA. Okay. Can we look at the Good Samaritan story? Just let's take a moment. Turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We'll get the run in because the Good Samaritan parable runs verses 30 through 37. But here's the deal, because context is key. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Happened all the time. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? That little afterthought, by the way, is key because you'll notice the whole idea. Did Jesus die to pay the penalty for the sin of the entire world? Absolutely. Does that mean he died for everybody's sins? He did, but who's going to heaven? The ones who actually receive the gift. Notice how Jesus puts a little bit of personal responsibility on the expert of the law. He asks him and even shows him a measure of respect. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The expert in the law replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? All right, now it's starting to get good. How does Jesus respond? Well, you know the story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. He went to him and bandaged, excuse me, he went, then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus asked the expert of the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus told him, you go and do likewise. So that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. That is the parable that people on the left have decided applies to saying that Elijah Dickon had no business bringing a gun into a mall and shooting a guy who would have gone on a far more deadlier rampage than he did, stopping the bleeding at only the deaths of three innocent people who were in a shopping mall food court and two others who were wounded. Knowing the context now and reminded of the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think the question for each of us is, do you think it's appropriate for the mayor of Greenwood, for the police chief of Greenwood as well, to refer to Elijah Dickon, the guy who shot and killed a shooter who was attempting a mass killing at the shopping mall, is it appropriate to call him a good Samaritan? 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take your calls on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues. 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we're talking about the case of Elijah Dickin. This is the 22-year-old guy who was shopping at the Greenwood Shopping Mall in Indiana, Greenwood, Indiana, on a Sunday evening. Happened to have his legally purchased and licensed to carry Glock with him. When he got there and he and his girlfriend were cruising near the food court, a guy by the name of Douglas Sapperman, uh, 20 years of age, was there. And it turned out he had brought three AR-15 style weapons and 100 rounds of ammunition in, apparently in a backpack, um, had gone into the restroom, was in there for quite some time, according to surveillance video, and then came out, opened fire on the people in the food court and wound up killing three and wounding two more. So Elisha Dickin opened his fire with his Glock. Ten rounds, I believe, eight of them struck the target, and the mass shooting ended. The whole thing ended in a matter of like two minutes. Happened very, very quickly. The, in the media, uh, Elijah Dickens being referred to as a good Samaritan uh, for doing what he did, being willing to lay down his life, engage this guy in gunfire before the police got there. Um, but the left is going nuts because they say, you can't call him a good Samaritan because this involved guns, it's involved killing. And so I thought, well, let's have a conversation about this. What do you think? Is this an appropriate term to use? Uh, 800-227-5278. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. David in San Diego. David, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Thank you for taking my call. I mean, nobody who has a gun permit or carries a gun or just happened to have that gun with them that day, uh, they're not set out to hurt anyone. But the blessing is that uh, he was able to save more lives that day. Now, the far yeah. left doesn't quite understand that because they have plenty of security and guards. But if the shoe was on the other foot, it'd be something totally different. So I think what he did, he should be honored for that. I think he took a lot of guts. And no one asked this question. How did he feel after he had to do that? That had to affect mm. him mentally also. Good but point. I think he did the right thing. It, I think he what he did, he stepped up and did the right thing. How many more people would have gotten killed that day if this one person took it upon himself to get involved and to help? Um, it'd be something totally different. Yeah, you know, David, that's an excellent point. Thank you so much for your call on that as we're talking about uh, Elisha uh, Dickin and the work that he did using his gun in that mall in, uh, in Indiana and saving the lives of people. If you read the Good Samaritan story again, I mean, oftentimes we focus on what happens with the priest, what happens with the Levite, who's also from the uh, the priesthood as well. And they're walking down that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, granted, this is a hypothetical situation that Jesus is, is giving them. But as he did with his parables, he gave them real world uh, opportunities. You know, I mean, this is the whole, you know, the, People understood this. They knew the road. They knew this kind of thing happened. They knew that the guy who is the Good Samaritan in this case uh, it would have been traveling. He's not a priest. He's not a, a Levite. He's just someone who's doing business along this way. And it was a dangerous way because people had been conducting business either one town or the other. As they're walking down there, oftentimes they had material possessions on them and they could potentially be robbed. The priest uh, for certain, you know, people have pointed out, a lot of scholars have, and the Levite as well, uh, there's a possibility of ceremonial uncleanness and un uncleanliness. It's conceivable. They might have said, wait, this guy's there. He looks like he's dead. I don't want to be ceremonially unclean, so I'm just going to keep going. And it's kind of a weak argument, but it's a plausible one. 
the fact that the Samaritan is going up and down the road here, and this is a very dangerous area. Well, let's take this into consideration, brothers and sisters, for just a moment. I mean, the fact that, as David pointed out, you know, look at all the lives that were saved, potentially. We don't know how many people were in the mall that day. We don't know how many people were in the food court that day. We do know that when Douglas Sapperman came in with his two, oh, three weapons, and armed to the teeth, literally with 100 rounds of ammo, he could have conceivably killed 100 people if one bullet was going to take everybody out, and he was a really good aim. It's not a stretch to say dozens of people might have lost their lives that day. So the idea that, <coughs> excuse me, the idea that young Mr. Sapperman came in there and was going to potentially kill lots of people, and young Mr. Dickon came in there with his Glock and took out the shooter. We don't know in the story of the Good Samaritan being a parable if Jesus had made any kind of provision for the fact that, you know, that we don't see anywhere in there that he had to not only bind up the wounds of the, uh, of the guy who fell, but also had to fight off other attackers. But it stands to reason that since this was an area that was violent, the Samaritan had to be willing to step into that part of the conversation and say, you know what, um, it's conceivable that maybe, just maybe, he might have had, what happens if the guys who were there who attacked the, the traveler were hiding and lying in wait to see if this guy will show up and then get another target? I mean, it would not be a stretch to insinuate that the, uh, that the Samaritan being knocked over, as it were, was potentially just kind of bait for somebody else that they could also ha go after. So in terms of having a guy who has a gun, shooting another guy who has more guns and more ammunition, and the one guy who's a better shot winds up taking up the more dangerous guy, it shows you the difference between one set of intentions and the other. Now, I think Jesus uses this story uh, of the Good Samaritan and portrays it in such a way where he talks about how the Samaritan is the good guy, because Samaritans at Jesus' day were not looked at as the good guy. The idea is don't focus on their nationality, don't focus on their religion, don't focus on their background. Look at their actions. See what they did. See if that makes them a, a good guy with a gun. 800-227-5278, the number to call. What do you think? Is it the use Good Samaritan appropriate for the guy in Greenwood, Indiana, who actually stopped a mass shooting from becoming much worse. Uh, back to the phones now, Douglas in Los Angeles. Douglas, welcome to the Bottom Line Show. Yes, I'd like to say that self-defense is is, uh, is addressed in Luke twenty-two thirty-six and Exodus twenty-two two. Well, that's a good word for. Uh, uh, for John Fugel saying, especially, who said that Jesus didn't make any provision for this, um, you know, the, the idea that you can uh, not be in a position to actually defend yourself, um, but the uh, the idea that, that there is a provision for that. There are a lot of things that Jesus said in Scripture that some people on the left who don't believe in God think they know and think they understand. But, uh, Douglas, I appreciate you bringing up those uh, Bible verses, and we'll be sure to pass them on to our, our friends on the left. 800-227-5278, um, the number to call. We're talking about the shooter in, uh, uh, fresh on our minds, of course, Peck Park in San Pedro, and the shooting that happened there yesterday. Tragically, two people dead and six more people wounded. And also the shooting in Dallas today at the uh, Love Field in Dallas. That's where Southwest Airlines does their hubbing coming in. They don't use Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And uh, 
Southwest uh, Terminal was the place where a young woman was dropped off uh, early today, around 11 o'clock in the morning. She entered the, uh, uh, she went past the ticketing area, went into a restroom, changed into a hoodie that she didn't have on beforehand, came out, pulled out a gun and aimed it up the ceiling and shot a couple of rounds up there. Uh, police uh, took a shot at her foot or a leg. They just said her lower extremity wound up hurting her. She fell, lost the gun. They took her into custody. She's in the hospital right now. The case in Indiana, though, when you've got a 20-year-old, 22-year-old guy who takes out a 20-year-old shooter who was looking to hurt as many people as he could, calling a good Samaritan, the left doesn't think that's appropriate. But we're making a biblical case for why that could be an appropriate uh, thought. We'll have more of your calls in just a moment. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I want to congratulate Luz from Livermore. I uh, was the correct caller and was the one who got through and uh, wins the copy of the book by Dr. Thomas Sheehan called Every When, God, Symmetry, and Time. We had a lot of people who called in for that book, and I'm grateful that uh, Luz was the one who was able to win it, one of our KCBC listeners in Livermore. And uh, we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I highly recommend this book. Um, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the Bottom Line Show. We're taking your calls uh, for this final segment here with regard to the use of the term Good Samaritan for the shooter, the young 22-year-old guy, Elisha Dickin, uh, was at the Greenwood Mall in Greenwood, Indiana, a week ago Sunday, shopping with his girlfriend. They're walking near the food court. They hear shots ring out. Elijah has a uh, Glock in his pocket, and uh, or on his person, I should say. I don't know where he was carrying it. And he pulls it out, opens fire on the shooter, Shoots off about 10 rounds. For what I understand, seven or eight of them hit him. He was a pretty good shot. And uh, winds up killing the mass shooter who wound up killing he himself. Killed three people and wounded two others. And had enough ammunition to where he fired off 24 rounds. He had another 76 on his person and two other weapons. He could have very easily killed a significantly larger number of people than he actually did. But the issue on the story that I found so fascinating was the left, who has a tendency to pick up a, you know, whatever part of scripture they think they can find, whatever they can shame anyone. The, the comedian John Fugelsang wrote on Twitter, I don't know how anybody in the GOP or you know, the NRA or whatever could, could ever you know, support this kind of nonsense. Jesus never supported killing of any kind and you know, whatever. And it's ironic to me when people like that who will say, well, 
this guy who shot the other guy, he killed somebody, and that's not good. This is where analysis, balance, clarity, and discernment is so important, brothers and sisters. You can see that, right? I mean, the idea that this poor guy is so bent on getting rid of guns. And again, a lot of people that I know who are anti-gun or pro-super strict gun legislation have a tragic experience with a gun that really shaped their thinking for whatever reason. Uh, I know of one gun activist whose uh, family was impacted when a family member of hers, when she was very young, was hit by a stray bullet. And it had a huge impact on her. Uh, if you have been involved in a tragedy that it was gun-related, I can't imagine what kind of trauma you see. Talk about being triggered when you see something like this happen. I, I have empathy. I have compassion for you in your situation. It hasn't been my story. I've never owned a gun. I had a buddy who did, a really longtime friend, a volunteer police officer, engineer, just a really super smart guy who used to shoot BB guns and 22s and stuff like that. And if you can remember how reckless things were, this was in the early 1970s. I grew up in East Whittier, and then we moved to Orange County, and I went back to spend the night at his house and hang out with him for a day. And uh, we went to my old house, which is kind of a trip. And the new family members there had guns, and my buddy's friend had guns. And we went in the backyard. They set up some old soda cans, and we had a quote-unquote gun show. And the only time I ever pulled the trigger on a rifle stronger than a BB gun they had set up six cans, whatever, and I hit it right smack in the middle, knocked all six of them down, and the whole backyard just erupted. I was, I don't know how old I was. It was quite a, it was quite a thrill for fun. I don't know what happened to the bullet. <laughs> it could have ricocheted off the wall, come back and hit one of us. It was crazy. That was not responsible, obviously, and God was very gracious. But in this case, a young man was responsible. He took action. He saw other people's lives at risk. In the same way the Good Samaritan saw a guy who had been beaten within an inch of his life, and it's possible that the priest of the Levite in Jesus' story who walked past him walked past this guy because he looked like he was dead. Here's the Samaritan. He knew the road. He knew the dangers. Obviously, if he sent him to the to the inn to put him up with the innkeeper, uh, it said, here, put it on my account. I'll settle up later. That's an indication that this guy used to frequent that place. He was known. He didn't think about himself. He thought, I got to get this guy out of here because it's a dangerous situation. And he might have died if the Good Samaritan had not shown up. So you see the biblical connotations here. I think the mayor of Greenwood was right to refer to Elijah Dickon as a Good Samaritan. I think the chief police was right to call him a Good Samaritan too. We don't think of the Good Samaritan as carrying a gun, but do we think of the Good Samaritan as rescuing someone from death and preventing further bloodshed? If that's the case, that's the bottom line.